Well, welcome everybody, both to those who are in church and also those joining us online this morning. We come this morning to worship. And so let us first of all declare the greatness of God, the God that we worship, by reading together Psalm 145, 3 and 5, which is on the screen. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, his greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of your glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. So let us now tell out his greatness as we sing, tell out my soul. Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you shower upon us each day. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to come before you 
to worship you and to learn from your word. We pray that you will guide our thoughts as we meditate on some of the verses that, you, that are in your word. And we just pray that you will guide each one of us as we reflect on what we are going to be taught today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And today we are reflecting on the first six weeks of Jesus' ministry. Usually we focus a lot on the stories of his birth at Christmas time. We focus on the stories of his death and resurrection. Of course, the Easter story. We focus a lot on the miracles that he did when he was alive here on earth. And also the parables and perhaps some of the other teaching passages. But we don't think so much about how his ministry began. How he left his sheltered life in Nazareth, where he lived with um, Joseph and Mary. And he left that life and began the work that he had come to do. The work that God had sent him to accomplish. And this is the focus of our reading this morning. And as we read... I'd like us to reflect on some of the verses and what those verses might, might mean to us. So the first part of the reading is from Matthew 3, 13 to 17. And um, can I have the first part of that? Right. So the, that says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well, well pleased. So this is when Jesus came out of his obscurity and living a normal life as perhaps a carpenter together with his father. And God announced after he was baptized, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The time had now come for him to show and teach about who he really was. So let us take a few minutes and reflect on these words, the words that the Spirit said to him after he was baptized. And thank God for revealing himself through his son, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Let us take a few minutes to pray, to thank God for revealing Jesus and thinking about what this might mean in our lives. Let us pray together and reflect. Oh God, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for coming to this earth and for revealing yourself to us through Jesus, your son. And we thank you for the way the Spirit came after, he was after Jesus was baptised and declared him to the world. 
and we pray that you will help us to consider this and know that you are the king of our lives. Amen. And then, just as Jesus was to begin his ministry, he underwent 40 days of being tempted by the devil, and that is the subject of our next reading, which is uh, the beginning of uh, Matthew chapter 4, from the first, the first 11 verses. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. So after each of these temptations, Jesus was able to give an answer. And this shows that he had the ability to, uh, to defeat the devil who was tempting him. And the first of Jesus' answers to the devil was, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I think this is a salutary reminder for us and we can examine our own hearts and think about the importance that the word of God plays in our lives. We need to live not only by on, with bread, obviously, we need food to keep us going um, every day, but what part does the word of God play in our lives? Not only reading it, but looking at it, studying it, and making it have an effect on our lives. So let's think about this. Let us take time to reflect uh, on these words. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's reflect on that and how that affects, uh, how that should affect our lives. My God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the effect that you can have on our lives. We thank you that we learn about your salvation. We learn how to live as Christians and we pray that you will help us to feed on your word 
each day and to, and to help others to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus leaves Nazareth and goes to Galilee and then he um, suffers the, goes through the temptation and then he starts his ministry and begins to preach and that is the subject of the next section of Matthew 4. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So, uh, at this time, let us reflect on how this light has shone in our lives. The prophecy was that people living in darkness uh, um, would see a great light and that the light would come to the world. Obviously, Jesus was the fulfillment. He became the light. And he can be a light in our lives and we can be lights to others to show the way to God. So let us reflect how this light can shine in our lives and also through us shine to others. Let us consider. And Father, we thank you for the light that has shone in the world through your Son, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and we thank you <clears throat> for revealing this light to us. And we pray that you will continue to shine in our lives and help us to be lights to others, to lead others in the way to receive your light and salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. And now let us sing a hymn, Lord Jesus Christ, you have come to us as a praise for what he has done. Jesus, help us see you are. 
for our prayers today, we will pray ahead of the COP26 conference, which is starting tomorrow in Glasgow, when, as you know, people from around the world will be gathering to discuss what can be done about climate change. And um, the Baptist World Mission, a lady from, um, has written a prayer for churches to use today um, ahead of that conference. So we will pray that prayer. Let us pray. God of heaven and earth, we praise you for the world you created. And we thank you for creating us to live and thrive together in it. May your spirit convict the hearts and minds of the world's leaders attending COP26. Make them conscious of their great responsibility to the generations of the present and future, and ultimately to you. Guide them into greater integrity and courage in their decision-making. Unite your church, Lord Jesus, that we would be agents <coughs> of your justice and hope for those who are already suffering the impacts of a changing climate, even as we repent of our part in its causes. Help us each to reflect honestly and hopefully in our own actions, <coughs> on our own actions, and <coughs> teach us what needs to change. We give thanks to you, our Creator, for every good thing you have given us. We give thanks to you for our Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whom we have our hope. Amen. <clears throat> and the final verse of our reading is verse 17. From that time on, <coughs> Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I believe that is going to be the topic of the sermon this morning. And before Julie comes and um, preaches for us, let us sing, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, as a preparation for what we will hear. <laughs>
Good morning, everyone. So I remember some 45 years ago when I fully committed my life to Jesus. I'd been running far away from him. And one day I finally understood what he'd done for me on the cross. And I was so sorry for my past and so very grateful for his forgiveness as I then entered by faith and because of his grace into the kingdom of heaven. And then it was another time, and there were many of them, but this particular one I remember, when I was walking in the woods, and when normally it was a place where it was easy for me to chat with God, but that particular day it was like a fog. There was a barrier somehow. And I felt lost, and I, I couldn't find God. I stood by a stream, and I saw a rock in it. And the water was fast flowing, 
but couldn't, of course, go through the rock, but went around it. And I sensed God gently saying to me that there was a rock in my heart which prevented the free flow of his spirit. So I began to seriously confess and repent, and immediately the joy and the freedom and the closeness of God returned, and I realized afresh just how key repentance and forgiveness was to my ongoing relationship with God and to deal quickly with those things that impair that relationship by, by repenting. And today I'd like to, for us to consider the, the subject of repentance, a bit of a serious one in one respect on a gloomy day, but by looking at repentance and faith, repentance and confession, uh, obstacles to repentance and repentance and forgiveness. And the passages that I was given, which we had read for us, but they're short, so I will just read them again. Um, Matthew 3, 1 to 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John the Baptist. And then Matthew 4, 12 to 17. When John... Uh, when Jesus heard John had been put in prison, and the timing is significant there, he returned to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land, and Isaiah said, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of, to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And Mary touched on that, didn't she? On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The New Living Testament expands it a bit by saying, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So, Jesus has made his way to Galilee to begin his public ministry after John the Baptist has been imprisoned. And as we know, John was a forerunner of Jesus, a powerful preacher, who didn't mince his words as he clearly spoke out God's truth. You brood of vipers was one of the things that he said to the Pharisees. And he rebuked Herod over his sins, particularly as he, Herod had taken his brother's wife. And then John landed up in jail. And later in Matthew we read that he was beheaded. So it was when Jesus heard about John that he returned to Capernaum, which was by the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Why, why go there? Surely beginning the public ministry would have been better in somewhere like Jerusalem where there were loads of people to hear the message. But no, God had his reasons and it was to be a fulfillment of the prophecy that we heard about. Isaiah chapter 9, 1 says, in the past... 
he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. And the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And as we heard earlier in his gospel, Matthew is affirming Jesus is that great light. He is the Messiah, bringing light to the world. And this Isaiah prophecy came to life in Galilee the moment Jesus started to preach. And here we have, in a sentence, the summary of his preaching, which was the same as John's uh, message. And he says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom is here. Same message. It was uh, Jesus uh, was taking over, as it were. It marked a transition. He was taking over from John and indeed continuing and fulfilling in person what John had started to proclaim. So the the timing is is very interesting. The message says, he picked up where John left off. Change your life, God's kingdom's here, the message uh, paraphrase says. So repentance and faith. Repent, they both clearly said. Why is this so important then? And now, what, what is repentance? I'm not, I don't know about Brighton Road, but you don't very often hear too many sermons on, on repentance, but it is key. The dictionary definition of repentance is to feel deep sorrow about one's actions, to wish one had not done, to regret, and the key thing is to resolve not to continue really important. So repentance is the profound change of mind involving the changing of the direction of your life from that of self-centeredness or sin-centeredness to God or to Christ-centeredness. And God's forgiveness is available to those who repent for only once you've repented and realized can you receive forgiveness. Repentance is the start of our new faith in Jesus, a decision to turn about. You may remember, some of you I know when you came to faith, you may remember that time. It's, it, it has to be, although it won't all happen at once, of course, a total change of life, a total change of direction, a decision to accept God's offer to be his child and all that entails. It's a decision to follow him. It's a decision to live under his lordship in his kingdom and not the ways of the world or in our own uh, ways of thinking. We have to leave. Uh, The next bit on says the disciples had to leave their nets and follow him. They left and follow. And when we come to Jesus, it's so important that we leave behind all the things that weren't right and we follow him and all that that means. Greek word for Repentance is metanoia, meta meaning uh, after, implying change, and noia coming from the word uh, nos, for mind. So repentance is a change of mind after, after hearing, after understanding the word and being touched by the Spirit of God. Just as I said in, in the first part, when I first came to Jesus and I had that revelation of who he was, 
and what the cross meant and what it meant for me. I looked behind and I realised how far I was running away from him and I came to him and I said sorry. And a new life then began for me. Someone put it like this. It is at this first step of repentance we take a survey of our life and where we're headed and notice that it's not in the direction of godliness. Repentance is the hammer that starts to break down our self-centered throne. Repentance is the beginning stages of allowing Christ to be on the throne of our hearts. Repentance is the start of our new faith in our Christ-centered life. Once we repent, then the doors of our life can open to begin receiving the gifts of God from salvation to blessings that are beyond and above comprehension. This isn't new all through the Old Testament. Uh, before John, before Jesus, of course, it was the same. Uh, Ezekiel, um, there were many prophets who called on people to repent and turn. And uh, Ezekiel 18 says, Therefore, I'll read it from, Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offences, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all the offences you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. A very clear message from the Old Testament prophets. And a clear message for us too. And it's a key message of Jesus. And what I want us to wonder about, and you may consider this in your house groups, is, and this is something I've been thinking about as an evangelist, when we seek to reach people with the gospel message, I wonder have we watered down that message of repentance? While you, can, you might remember people in the past standing on street corners with sandwich boards saying, repent, the end is nigh, or preachers thundering out hell, fire and, and brimstone, and repent, they were saying. Well, that was, I mean, whilst we... Uh, you know, admire their passion and their, uh, the courage of their convictions, that might not be uh, the most attractive way of, uh, of, of presenting the gospel. But I just wonder if we've gone, and it's for us to think about and me to think about, if we've gone too far the other way and we actually leave out repentance uh, as a vital part of people coming to faith in our desire for people to know Jesus and to know his love like we do, I wonder, sometimes do we teach an all-embracing, inclusive, wide path rather than the narrow path that Jesus said it would be? Um, in Matthew 7, but small is the gate and narrow the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. And this is, this is the message. The old song, just as I am without one plea, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come. Yes, we come to him just as we are, but with a recognition that actually we were, just as we were, we were going in the wrong direction and we can't stay 
as we are. There has to be a genuine sorrow before a holy God. After Peter's Pentecost sermon, the people were cut to the heart, we read. And they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptised, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance and confession, I just want to say something about that. It is possible to confess, to confess but not repent. And there are places where people go and repent by saying it to someone. But, you know, uh, confession must be an expression of repentance. If, we're, if we say sorry, and we need to so much, and I do, and especially preparing that this week, I was thinking of all the things that were, weren't right and I needed to get myself right with God, not major things, I hasten to add, but if we say sorry to God, we must have the intention and the determination not to do it again. See, God knows our hearts. He's not interested in our outward display of sorrow or in our well-meaning words. Saying sorry just to get it off our chest and feel better is not the, not the answer. Isaiah once said, rend your hearts, not your garments. To show sorrow in those days, clothing was ripped, but, but God is saying, it's not your clothes I'm interested in. It's what's happening in your hearts. Then there will be a noticeable change. Not all at once, as we've said. It's a, a whole lifelong journey, journey of faith, sanctification, is a, 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 a long journey and we, 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 we come to God, he highlights the things and we say sorry and we, we gradually move on tra being transformed into his likeness. But there has to be seen a change. We cannot be doing the same things that we were before, if they went right in particular. John the Baptist's message to the Pharisees was in Matthew 3 verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit. Don't just say there has to be fruit that is seen. So as we've seen, repentance isn't a one-off event when we first come to Jesus. He calls on the five, you might remember in Revelation, the five of the seven churches to Ephesus. He says, repent and do the things you did at first. Um, to Sardis in Revelation, wake up strengthen what remains and is about to die for I've not found your deeds complete complete remember what you've received and heard obey it and repent he was talking to the churches here uh, the believers in the church is calling them to repent of the things that weren't right so we repent when we first come but it is also a continuing process and I wonder when is the last time, perhaps, for all of us to think, I'm not putting myself above anyone here, for all of us to think, when is the last time we really repented, we really recognised that some things were, were wrong, big or little, and we came to God and we said, I'm going to turn around, I'm not going to do this uh, anymore, and would you please help me? Uh, when, when, when did we do that? So repentance brings us in to the family of God. 
And it also keeps us in an intimate relationship with him. As I said at the beginning, that I felt God was far away, and God highlighted something, and I repented. And then, and let's not forget, and we'll come on to that, because this can seem like a serious, gloomy message, but let's not forget the joy of forgiveness, the joy of this. And I would ask us this morning again, how sensitive are we to the things that displease God? Just a question I ask myself. Have we become casual in our sins? Do we keep short accounts with God? Or have we become a bit blasé? We've been king, uh, Christians for years and years and years and years and we just can go through the motions and we can do it and we're, quite, we're nice people. And, but have we become sensitive to the, the things that the Holy Spirit might be pointing out? Do we stand out as being different as Christians or are we tending to blend nicely with the world around? Something to think about. So some of the obstacles to repentance, why, why is it so hard? The, the dictionary said, well, one of them is sin. It's a, a word we don't, we don't like. It's an old-fashioned word. We could say wrongdoing, we could say transgression, but the dictionary says it's an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. And for so many outside of the kingdom, for, for non-Christians, sin is a very unpalatable word. Because really there's no belief in a holy God for so many and therefore no absolute truth and no standard. So whilst people might not murder or steal, uh, others might think that they can do as they want. A lot of people think they're quite good anyway, and they're okay as they are, but Romans tells us quite clearly, for all have sinned. Even if you're a nice person and you, you, you help at the Rotary Club or you, 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 you help at the food bank, all of those are good things, but We've all sinned, Romans tells us, and fall short of the glory of God. And so everybody needs to come to know Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, it clearly says. And also for us, even as Christians, sometimes we might not appreciate the horror of our sin, our wrongdoings, the things that aren't right in God's eyes. We can become hardened we can domesticate our sins, our wrongdoing, thinking that, well, God doesn't really mind what we do. We're really quick to feel angry about the sins of other people, um, and yet we're very slow to recognize ours or do anything about it. And 1 John says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our hearts. And instead of living up so often, and I, I include myself in this, this is a word to me as well, instead of living up to God's standards, we compare ourselves with others and think that we're not too bad. But God's standards are high. We can never reach them. That's why Jesus came um, to die in our place. So often, something for you to think about in, in your house groups, perhaps, 
the distinction between the church and the world is often very blurred. And some, as I used in an illustration, like some people like sinning. As I said to my grandson uh, once when he was little, my oldest grandson is now 15, can you believe? And my, my, when he was little, he sa I said, don't be naughty, Isaac. And he said, but I like being naughty. And that's, that's the thing, isn't it, really? Another reason is pride. Got, uh, Christians, even for us as Christians, humility doesn't come naturally. It's hard to admit we're wrong, isn't it? Uh, to others and to God. We're very good at justifying how we feel and what we say. But humility is key. Humility before God, humbling yourself before God, and of course then others too, is key to living in the kingdom. I love the verse, Micah, what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? So then finally, and this is the joyful bit, repentance and forgiveness. The joy of forgiveness. 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess, repent by implication, uh, not just say it out, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. And there's joy in that. I once read a little classic book by a lady called Basilia Schlink, I think it was, and the title of the book was Repentance, The Joy-Filled Life. I thought, it doesn't sound very joyful if you have to grovel around um, uh, repenting all the time, but it, it is in getting right with God and staying right with God that there is the freedom. What joy there is and should be when we know that we've been forgiven by God according to his grace and mercy, no matter what we've done. What joy there is, or should be, in knowing we are free from guilt and shame. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It means we're free, free to serve him forever. Great, so grateful, free to be so grateful for his love and forgiveness and thereby wanting to serve him, wanting to love him, wanting to tell other people. It's living in that freedom, no longer shackled. Charles Wesley's hymn that we sing with gusto, don't we? Uh, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eyes diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. There is the, the sentiment of being forgiven. And I have seen in the course of my ministry and before so many people who, when they've come to the cross, when they've understood uh, what Jesus had done for them, when they said sorry and turned around and now going in his direction, you can see the lightness of spirit. You can see the joy. And God wants us to continue to walk in that freedom. We need we mess up all the time, every day. And we, uh, we need to ask God for forgiveness to recognize that. Repentance is an ongoing, lifelong process. 
And what I want to say here, God isn't saying repent with thunderous eyes. Well, I don't think so. Uh, in that way, you know, repentance is an invitation to get back right with him. It's a gracious invitation. God is so faithful. He's so loving. He's so kind. He's not there pointing the finger and you, like a, you know, a, a stern headmaster. He invites us to repent so we can restore the relationship and walk in harmony with him. We can walk humbly with our, our God. I'm reading, well, I've been reading, I haven't got through it because it's quite long, but St. Augustine's Confessions. Oh, that, that person, in all those years ago, third century, I think, or fourth, I can't remember, but he, I mean, he just poured out his heart in his confessions. And like every single thing is so honest. And I think it's time for us all to be honest before God, honest with each other as well. And so I suggest we just spend a couple of minutes asking the Holy Spirit to point out something to us. Something, and not everything will be, I mean, we'll be, you know, we're going to get up on the floor. But something that, that needs, if there's somebody here this morning or watching who um, has never come to the cross and never said, I'm so sorry for not going your way, would you... Uh, would you forgive me? And I am going to walk in your direction now. If somebody, if there is anyone who's listening who's never said that, well, today the Bible teaches us is a day of salvation. The cross is still there for uh, anyone to come to and repent. But for us, most of us who are Christians, let's ask the Holy Spirit to point out something. Um, it's God's kindness and love to us this morning that can lead us to repentance. So just a moment or two to listen to, this, to the Spirit. Have we been prayerless, perhaps? Not read our Bible for ages, gathering dust? Have we been grouchy? Are we in a wrong relationship? Are we saying things we shouldn't say and hurting people? What is it that the Holy Spirit gently reminds us of this morning? And, I would say, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Not just say sorry. How can we help ourselves not be in that situation again? Father, thank you so much for your word and for the, the, the message that repentance is key thank you for the for for those of us who came all those years ago maybe to the cross and we received forgiveness and we live a, a life uh, in relationship with you thank you but father would you please keep us sensitive to your spirit and walk humbly with our god always keeping short accounts with you dealing with the things that aren't right. Lord, we can't do that without the help of your Holy Spirit. So we ask you to fill us afresh this morning and go out joyfully forgiven. Amen. So we're going to sing.
two songs, I'm accepted, I'm forgiven, believing that we are, and then reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of God. Great is your faithfulness. So let's stand.
people said, Amen. Amen. If anyone has anything they'd like prayer for, then do come and see me or one of the leaders, deacons. Um, yeah, I leave that with you.